0: Welcome to another Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. We are currently studying the Apostle Paul's letters to the Ephesians and the Colossians. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty.
1: We are in Ephesians chapter 1. We are slowly working our way through Ephesians chapter 1. Last week, I spent a great deal of time emphasizing the fact that in him, says verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. And I tried to emphasize what that word redemption means. It means to be bought off the slave market of sin, to be purchased by someone who actually paid a ransom price and the ransom price that was paid was the blood of Christ which he freely and graciously paid in order to buy us away from ourselves, away from our own sinfulness, away from our depravity, and away from the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God naturally abides on all mankind, and the only reason that we are not appointed to wrath is because Jesus did pay the ransom price having paid the ransom price he bought us he redeemed us and that redemption is an everlasting redemption in other words once Jesus paid that price and bought you you are permanently his nothing about that relationship can be changed Because, after all, as we saw last week and as we're going to see again today, that relationship was determined by God before the foundation of the world. Wrote your name down in the Lamb's Book of Life and then sent his son to provide the propitiatory price that would satisfy fully the wrath of God, the justice of God and the holiness of God so that you receive from God not what you deserve but instead you receive grace and kindness and everlasting love from God though you are everything you are. I could kind of sit down now Because that message right there that I have just told you is the essential message of the gospel. Christianity does have very particular definitions to it and without those particular things you don't have genuine biblical Christianity. There are some things about the Christian life, some things biblically, That we as Christians can discuss and argue about and debate. Theologians call that primary stuff versus secondary stuff. And they claim that there are secondary doctrines, and there are. For instance, if we're discussing whether Christians should go to a movie, that's a completely secondary thing because it's not really discussed in the Bible, and therefore... Paul leaves it up to the conscience of the individual Christian. There are many things you can think of like that, that aren't discussed in the Bible, but then churches will impose them on the conscience of people, and it becomes part of their tradition, but it's not necessarily biblical. Those are secondary issues. But everything that we're going to look at this morning is primary. Everything we're going to look at this morning is fundamental, basic Christianity. If you eliminate these essentials, you don't have biblical Christianity. So we are going to talk again this morning about the redemptive work that Christ actually fully accomplished. Now, the gospel in a nutshell can be wrapped up in saying Christ came to the planet, lived a sinless, spotless, perfect life, was crucified, was dead and buried, on the third day rose again from the dead, ascended off the planet, and currently sits at the right hand of God, and from there he will judge the quick and the dead. That is the essential Gospel right there in its most simple form. But what we're looking at here in Ephesians and what we're going to discover, Paul writes over and over again, is the sound doctrine that lays behind the simple gospel. The simple gospel is that Christ died and resurrected and that he was a payment for our sin. But Paul then digs deeper into it and explains to us what Christ actually did in making himself the propitiatory sacrifice, making himself a sin offering, making his own blood the ransom price that was paid to redeem us from the very eternal wrath of God. That is the sound doctrine. If you have any other understanding of the simple gospel, then you don't really have a biblical gospel. Here's what I mean by that. If you say it is up to you as an individual to choose Jesus, to make Jesus Lord and Savior, it's up to you to do the work, and then God will respond to the work that you did, The Bible doesn't say that anywhere, and if you impose that on the simple gospel, you have no longer described a biblical gospel. Does that make sense? The biblical gospel, as we saw last week, as we're going to see again today, the biblical gospel is God did it, God did it all, God did it completely, you didn't do any of it. The only thing you bring to the relationship is your sin, your depravity, your fallenness, and God does everything necessary for your full, complete redemption and salvation. Therefore, God gets all the glory. You don't get any glory because God is, after all, Savior. You are the saved. He is the gracious God You are the one who received the grace. He is the perfect, righteous, holy one. You are the depraved sinner. And the two of you are at enmity with each other. And you deserve the eternal wrath of God. You deserve outer darkness forever. You deserve hell eternally. That's what you deserve. And if you don't get it, it's only because God did what you couldn't do and he designed it that way so that he himself would get all the glory and Paul is going to say that over and over and over again so do not try to insert yourself into the salvation process outside of admitting that you are the sinner who received the grace from God if you say Jesus saves as long as you, you've added something to the gospel. You've added something that doesn't belong there. The Bible doesn't say God saves as long as you get busy, clean yourself up, do more stuff, genuflect, say more Hail Marys, go to enough masses, go to enough stuff, then God will save you. The Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible says is that you, in your sinful, depraved state, had your life interrupted by an absolutely sovereign God who introduced himself to you, who revealed himself to you, who gave you the knowledge and the ability to understand what he was doing for you so that you could read his word, so that you could comprehend that God. And in that word, he tells you that he chose to do all this before the foundation of the world. That's a biblical gospel. You didn't deserve anything God did for you. That's what makes it amazing grace. That's why we sang, grace that is greater than all my sin. You'll notice that song did not say, work that is greater than all my sin. Me, of my own proclivities, cleaned me up until I got better than all my sin. That's not the biblical gospel. The biblical gospel is you in your utter sinful depravity were saved by an absolutely sovereign, loving, gracious God. And that's how people get saved. And Paul said it, and he said it, and he said it. And he said it, and that's what we're going to look at this morning, whether he is writing to Ephesus, which is a major port city, a great place from which to spread the gospel far and wide, whether we're looking at Colossae which this particular study is looking at Ephesians and Colossians. This morning we're going to look at a bit of Colossians, and you're going to see that Paul wrote the exact same thing to them. Whether Paul is writing to Rome, the hub, the center of all theological and philosophical thought, whether he was writing to any major Christian outlet, he preached the exact same Gospel every single time and that gospel is grace, 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 grace you are sinful you are depraved you are, I love this word saved and that's really good news now again I could just sit down am I going to? oh no no, I'm going to stand here and keep talking Ephesians 1 verse 7, in him, who's him? I know we're a small group today, but you better talk back to me, <laughs> because it's going to be a really long morning if you don't. Who's him? In Christ Jesus, we have redemption. How did we acquire that redemption? Redemption. Through his blood, not through your law keeping, not through your works, not through you cleaning yourself up to make yourself presentable to God, you received complete redemption, deliverance from the wrath of God through the blood of Christ. Now, every time you see that phrase, the blood of Christ, that's almost shorthand that refers to The full cross work. It means that Christ was willing to give himself sacrificially to be beaten, to have the crown of thorns on his head, to have nails pierced through his hands and feet, to have a sword ultimately pierced through his ribcage. So that his blood would flow out while he was nailed to that chunk of wood in the midday sun until darkness overwhelmed the planet. All of that is what Paul is referring to when he says, by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is the full sacrificial work of Christ. You received redemption through the cross work of Jesus Christ and what is the end result of that the forgiveness of our trespasses I'm going to emphasize it once again notice that the way you got forgiveness for your trespasses let's take a quick quiz right here shall we sure why not how many of you did something this morning that the minute you did it you thought Yeah, that's me. I'm a sinner. That should be every hand in the room because you either thought or intended or planned or did something that was not perfectly holy, righteous, and godly. If you did, you sinned this morning, which means every moment of your life, you need forgiveness from God for the sake that not only do you do sinful stuff, but that you are sinful. You are a sinner by nature. That's why you do the stuff. Get this right. You do not get called a sinner in the Bible because you do bad stuff. You do bad stuff because you're a sinner. How do I know that? Because you're human. If you're a fleshly human, you are sinful, and you received forgiveness. For your sins and trespasses against a righteous, holy, eternal God, you receive that forgiveness because of the finished work of Christ. I'm going to keep emphasizing that because far too much of religion in the world says you'll receive forgiveness for the bad stuff you did if you just do good stuff to balance it out. And then someday you're going to get to the gate of heaven and St. Peter's going to be standing there with his great scale and he's going to put your bad deeds on one side and your good deeds on the other side. And if that scale tips slightly in your favor, then you get to go to heaven forever. Lucky day for you. That's the theology I grew up with. I sure am glad the Bible exists because when I read the Bible, I found out that's not how it works. It's actually all your sin, all your depravity, all your trespasses, every single bit of it is forgiven, not because of you, not because of the good works you did, which by the way the Bible says you're going to walk in good works, which he foreordained you would walk in, so you don't even get credit for your good works because he chose the good works you walk in, Mm -hmm. so there's nothing about you, there's nothing about your work, there's nothing about your ability to clean yourself up. That is going to get God to forgive you for your trespasses. He's only going to forgive you on one single basis. And that basis is the blood of Christ. You got that? It can't be you. Because after all, you're the one that messed it up. And as bad as you've messed it up, you don't have time to clean it up. Me personally, I got 65 years of sinning behind me. There's not enough years left for me to clean it up. There's nothing I can do. The Bible says that babies come out of the womb speaking lies. That means they're sinners from birth. Sinners in their mother's wombs. That's a lot of time to make up for. That's a lot of stuff that you got to clean up if it's left up to you. But it's not left up to you. Instead, you are forgiven for all your trespasses through the blood of Christ. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Paul takes the time in the book of Romans to define the difference between grace and works. And he says, if God were to forgive you on the basis of your works then that's a payment of a debt on God's part. And it's not grace. If you work for a full week, and at the end of the week, you go to your boss and you say, pay me. And he says, here, he hands you his paycheck and says, this is a gift from me to you. You're going to say, that's not a gift. I earned that. And he's going to say, no, no, Dig me, appreciate me, because I graciously gave you this money. You'll say, that's not grace. I worked all week. You're paying me what you owe me. Okay, same thing according to the Apostle Paul. If you work for your salvation, and then God rewards you as a result of your work, that's a payment of a debt that you earned and it is not grace grace to be grace can't be deserved grace to be grace cannot be earned grace to be grace has to be something that God does out of his kindness and out of his loving heart according to his own will according to his own determination he's good to you because you don't And you can't, and you wouldn't, and you won't ever deserve it. You get the difference? If you work for your salvation, and then God responds to you, that makes you the actor, and God the reactor. And as I've been emphasizing for the last two weeks, in the matter of biblical salvation, God is always the actor. You are the one who is acted upon. And so... In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he poured on us overabundantly. Superabundant amounts of grace were poured on you. Have you ever found yourself thinking, how could God save somebody like me I mean, I can see God saving Leon. Leon's been living in my house the last couple of months. And I can see God saving Leon. Leon takes the time. He reads. He studies. He writes his notes. He pays attention to the word. I can see God being nice to Leon. Now, as I'm saying that, Leon is going, no. Leon shaking his head vigorously. That's the rattling sound that you hear. Leon does not agree with that statement, but from my perspective, I can see God saving other people. I just can't imagine that God would save somebody like me. Have you ever thought that? Well, that's why it is an overflowing superabundance of grace. It's grace upon grace and then more grace and then adequate grace with extraneous grace with even more grace piled on top of that because that's how God saves sinners in him in Christ we have present tense we own this redemption that was accomplished through the blood through the cross work of Jesus Christ resulting in the forgiveness of our trespasses according to to the great riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. That's a great sentence. I like that sentence a lot because that sentence describes how we get saved, why we get saved, and it has nothing to do with us. Now, before I continue to emphasize grace, 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 You've heard me say several times this morning, it's not because of works. Let me be very clear and say, as Christian people, we do works. We do good works. But the good works are not the cause of our salvation. The good works are a result of our salvation. Once you know, again, indicative, imperative, once you know who you are, that you are the saved, you are the redeemed, you are the blood-bought, you are the eternally chosen by God. Once you know that, you will walk differently. You will live differently. You will behave differently. But you're not doing it to get God to save you. You're doing it because God has saved you. So biblically, yes, yes. Christians do walk in good works. There's no question about it. But if you get the cart ahead of the horse and you say the good works are the reason that God saved me, then you're talking legalism. And legalism doesn't save anybody. But if you get the cart and the horse in proper alignment, and you get the indicative ahead of the imperative, then you understand that the saving grace of God drives you to do good works. So yes, Christians do good works. That was for all the folks on the internet who at this very moment were typing to me, and I could hear their keyboards rattling because they heard me emphasize a lack of works in Christianity. I want to make sure you understand that Christians do good works, but they're not the cause of salvation. They're the result of salvation. This biblical gospel of how people get saved is not something that Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians in a a fit of creative theology. It's actually something that he wrote time and time again. Turn to the book of Colossians. Right at the beginning of the book of Colossians. Colossians 1. Paul just couldn't be more clear or more precise about who did the saving and who the saved are. Colossians 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 13. For he rescued us. Notice how Paul put it. He rescued us. We are the rescued. We are not the fully capable. We are not the ones who cleaned ourselves up. We are not the ones who did stuff. We were rescued. A moment ago I told you I love the word saved. If you're drowning and you're going down for the third time and it's all over. And suddenly somebody from a boat reaches down, grabs you, plucks you up out of the water. He saved you. That's what this word saved. And this word redeemed. And this word rescued is getting at. In fact... I've misstated the case. I said you're going down for the third time. The biblical description of you is you're already dead. You're already drowned in your trespasses and your sins. You are spiritually fully incapable That means you needed somebody to pluck you up from your dead state, make you alive again, rescue you from yourself, and save you utterly and completely. Because not only are you incapable, you're dead. So Christ rescued you, and you need rescuing. Because I know some of you, and some of you need rescuing. For he rescued us. Who's Paul writing to? Not just the Colossians. Who's he writing to? He's writing to the saints. He's writing to those who have been elected by God. He's writing to the church. When he uses the word us, he isn't saying us human beings, us, everybody who ever lived. He's saying us who have faith in Jesus Christ for he rescued us from the domain which means from the authority of darkness that's your natural state you live under the authority of the darkness of this world your own sin your own depravity your own spiritual deadness you live naturally in the dark the phrase that David Morris used to use, and I'm just always amused by this phrase. He said, Paul describes it like a blind man in a pitch black room chasing a black cat who isn't there. That's how we are as blind men groping in the dark, searching for we don't know what. That's the state we are in when Christ Jesus finds us and rescues us from our darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption. Remember everything that I've been telling you about the word redemption? In his beloved son, in Christ, we have utter and complete price paid the ransom price has been forfeited to God therefore the propitiation of that blood has fully satisfied the wrath of God so that God is no longer angry toward us so that we can be adopted into the family so we can be placed as sons and daughters within the family of God and all of that redemption is done Through the beloved son who rescued us from our darkness and transferred us into his kingdom of light. What did you do? Nothing. You're the one who was acted upon. You're the one that was rescued. You're the one who was dead. He rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice that Paul defined the redemption in Colossians 1 exactly the way he defined it in Ephesians 1. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Of our trespasses. We have redemption. The forgiveness of all of our sins. That's a full complete eternal redemption. Once you have been bought. By the savior of the world. You belong to him. And he will not lose you. Because he's the one who did the work. If he paid the ransom price for you. If he was willing to spill his blood for you, if he was willing to take the wrath of God for you, and then he managed somehow through some accident to lose you, that means that the work that he finished was not a full, complete, finished work. It means there was some error in the work that let you slip between the cracks. But that's not the redemption that's described in the Bible. Instead, it is an eternal redemption fully accomplished by a fully sufficient Christ. The salvation that Christ brought into your life is something that was fully done perfectly. He is a perfect Savior who saves perfectly. He never lost anybody who he died for. And he knew full well what you were going to be like when he chose to rescue you. You are the rescued. You are the saved. You are the redeemed. Now act like it. Now walk that out in your life. For he rescued us from the domain, from the authority of darkness, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. He, Christ, is the very image of the invisible God. He, Christ, is the firstborn of all creation. That word firstborn there is not talking chronologically. It's talking about value. He is the archetype. He is the first one. He is the superior one over everyone and everything else. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him or in him all things were created. Both in the heavens and in the earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. By the way, Paul is not just speaking of earthly kings there. He's talking about heavenly dominions and thrones and rulers and authorities, as well as the earthly dominions and thrones and authorities. He created all of them. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You want to know why you're alive today? For him. That's why you exist. The Greek philosophers argued extensively. You can read the tomes. You can read the books. You can read the amount of ink that was wasted trying to answer the question, why are we here? Of course, the Greek philosophers started by eliminating God from the equation and then trying to explain why it is that humans existed. Why are we here? The only correct answer is the biblical answer. We're here for him. We're here to glorify him. He saved you utterly and completely. So that through all the ages to come, in eternity future, you will worship and praise and glorify him and the glory of his grace. And that's why you exist. He knew before he did anything, before he made the planets, he wrote names down in the Lamb's Book of Life. The reason it's called the Lamb's Book of Life is because those are the people that belong to the Lamb. And those people who belong to the Lamb of God are the very people who are going to worship him through all of eternity future because they belong to him, because they were redeemed by him, because they were purchased, rescued, saved by him. Therefore, we're never going to cease saying thank you for everything that you did for us because without you, we would have fallen under the wrath of God. You exist holy and completely utterly and totally whether you're alive today or whether you die and go to stand before God you exist for the purpose of the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ who saved you that's why you exist for by him all things were created both in the heavens and on the earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. Or he existed prior to everything. And in him, all things hold together. In other words, all things endure. All things exist at this moment Because he's the one holding them together. He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Not only is he the firstborn of all creation, existing before the first thing was created, but he's also the firstborn, the preeminent one to rise from the dead. So that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all fullness of deity to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Okay, so Paul just told the Colossians that the whole reason that we exist is for him, for the purpose, for God's good pleasure, so that everything would be wrapped up in him. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, because he made peace through the blood of his cross, everything, all things that are reconciled will be reconciled through him so that he gets all the glory. In Ephesians 1, you don't have to turn there. We read it last week. We're going to continue reading it. Verse 9, Ephesians 1. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed within himself with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of everything in Christ. Things in the heaven and things upon the earth. It's all summed up in Christ. It's all to Christ's glory. He said it in the book of Ephesians. He says it in his letter to the Colossians. This is fundamental to Pauline Christianity. The reason that God and Christ did everything the way they did it was so that it would all be summed up. It would all be wrapped up to the glory of God through Christ, his finished work. He gets all the praise. He gets all the glory. I'm going to say it again. Where are you in that equation? What did you do? What did you accomplish in all that? In everything we've read so far, how much of it was dependent on you? None of it. Because it was decided before anybody was here. And it was determined by an absolutely sovereign, all-powerful God, who then went about The work of making sure that everything turned out exactly the way he decided it was going to turn out to an administration suitable to the fullness of time. The summing up of all things in Christ, the things in heaven, the things in earth. He gets all the glory. It's all about him. It's all a result of grace. It's not about you. You ought to be praising him you ought to be thanking him and glorifying him because he did all that for you and you didn't deserve the smallest bit of it. That's what I mean when I say the word grace. That's why we're grace, Christian assembly. That's why our website is salvation by grace. That's what we mean is that it is always the goodness And the grace of God that results in salvation. Turn to the book of Romans. Paul writes to the major center in Ephesus. And he says it's all God and it's all grace. He writes to Colossae. And he says it's all God and it's all grace. Now he's going to write to the Romans. And say it's all God and it's all grace. Then we're going to look at his letter to the Corinthians. And he's going to say it's all God and it's all grace. Because this is the biblical theology of salvation, and you got to get that right. Romans 3, starting at verse 21. If you're going to do stuff, if you're determined to do things to impress God in order to get God to save you, how are you going to find? the things that God considers good how are you going to determine what is good well naturally you're going to go to the law of God and you're going to look at the law of God in order to find out what good things you ought to be doing to impress God Romans three twenty one. but now apart from the law the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law all the law could do is show you what a guilty sinner you were. All the law could do is stand there and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Oh, and you're wrong again. Oh, and that one was wrong. That's all it can do. It can't bend. It can't help you. It can't pick you up when you stumble. It can't aid you in any way. All it can do is accuse you of how wrong you are, and I'll help you out. You're plenty wrong. And because you're so very wrong, the law for righteousness is no help to you. And so Paul says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets, you've heard me say many times, is a Hebraism that's just speaking of the entirety of the Old Testament. The Law and the Prophets. Sometimes it's called the Law and the Prophets and the Writings or the Poets. But anytime you see the phrase, the Law and the Prophets, you're talking about the Old Testament. Here Paul says that the Old Testament includes witness, includes testimony to the fact that the law can't help you and salvation must be an act of grace. Reaching all the way back to Abraham, grace has always been the way that God deals with people. That is witnessed in the law and the prophets. But. It is the righteousness of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe. For there is no distinction. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. In the first couple of chapters. He's already described that. the Jews are guilty. Gentiles are guilty. All human beings are guilty. There's nobody who does good. There's nobody who does Righteousness. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace. You see the theology of Paul? Everybody's guilty. Everybody's wrong. Everybody's sinful. The law could only condemn you. But now there's this righteousness of God that has been demonstrated, that was written in the Old Testament, that people just didn't understand, that through faith in Jesus Christ, all those who believe, Jew or Gentile, all those who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, who have faith in Christ, are going to be justified freely as a result of a gift of God, which he gives you By his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. There it is again. The source of your redemption, the source of the peace between you and God, is Jesus Christ spilling his blood for you, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. That's why I keep defining these words because these words are essential to Pauline theology and a correct biblical understanding of how people get saved. We are justified as a gift by his grace through the redemptive work that is in Jesus Christ whom God publicly displayed as the propitiation, as the price paid to satisfy the wrath of God and that price was his blood. That's the ransom price. And he paid that ransom price and we accept that ransom price by faith, not by works of the law. The law can only condemn you. Faith in Christ saves you eternally. And where do you get that faith? From the Holy Spirit. And where do you get that Holy Spirit? From God who decides. It's all him. It all begins with him. It all ends with him. It's him in the middle turn to 1 Corinthians 1 You'll notice it was Ephesians 1, it's Colossians 1, it was Romans 3, but it's 1 Corinthians 1 Paul starts his letters by spelling out this theology. He wants to make sure that all the churches in all the major centers that they all understand this theology of salvation so that nobody comes to Christ thinking that they're going to impress him with who they are and what they've done and the good works that they've done for him Paul wants to make sure that you know exactly who you are you're the sinful and depraved he's the savior don't ever get that relationship wrong first Corinthians 1 everybody there we're going to start in verse 26 For consider your calling, brothers and sisters, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Aren't you glad to be counted among the foolish things of this world? I'm happy to be a fool for Christ. Through the foolishness of preaching, Paul says, some people are saved. I'm happy that while God was passing over some of the mighty, some of the wise in their own conceit, wise in their own flesh, people who thought they were strong enough or noble enough or good enough that God would have to save them, God passes over them and has already chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And he has chosen the insignificant things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. Okay, so let's talk about you. How does God see you according to this bit of Pauline writing? He sees you as foolish. He sees you as weak. He sees you as insignificant. He sees you as despised. He sees you as the things that are not. Okay, so how is he going to appeal to you in that state while you're in that domain of darkness, while you're walking after the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air? How is he going to appeal to you to get busy and clean yourself up? He can't. His description of you is that you are utterly, utterly incapable. Verse 30. But it is due to him that you are in Christ Jesus. Who's it due to? It is due to God himself who chose to place you in Christ because you, after all, are the insignificant of this world. You're the weak of this world. You're the foolish of this world. You're the despised of this world. You are the things that are not. Therefore, God had to choose you and place you in Christ because you could not do that yourself. You would not do that yourself. You have no capability to do that yourself. So he did it for you. And why did he do it like that? Why did he do it that way? Why was that the plan? Look at verse 29, which I skipped on purpose, so that no human, no flesh may boast before God. It's the same thing he writes to the Ephesians. By grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, if you had anything to do with it, because you know you, come on, I know you, so you know you. You know you. You know if you had anything to do with it, you'd take credit for it. You'd say, well, yeah, God, you did 99%, but man, I kicked in that 1%. Did you see that time I fed that homeless guy? Did you see that time that I helped somebody move? Did you see that time that I... Could have gotten really angry at my wife, and I didn't. Did you see all those good things I did? You know you would take credit for those things. You know you would. The reason God designed it like this, so that you were utterly insignificant and incapable, so that he would place you in Christ, so that it is only all the credit, all the praise, all the glory is going to abound to him, so that you cannot boast. So that you cannot say, yeah, God and me got me saved. It's all God that got you saved. It is due to him that you are in Christ Jesus, who, Christ Jesus, became to us wisdom from God and righteousness, as if wisdom from God weren't enough, and righteousness. Where do you get your righteousness? From Christ accomplishing perfect righteousness which is imputed to you oh and sanctification did I mention sanctification oh he completely cleans you up from your sinfulness from your depravity he sanctifies you setting you apart for God's exclusive use oh and redemption did I mention redemption and redemption and where did that redemption come from the finished work of Christ through his blood, through his work on the cross. You are weak. You are incapable. You are insignificant. You are the things that are not. He, God, placed you in Jesus Christ who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption just as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. I'm only driving at one thing this morning. I've used a whole lot of words to drive at one thing this morning, which is, it's grace. It's all grace. It's the finished, accomplished work of Christ, not your finished, accomplished work. And it is a result of Christ willingly giving himself as the propitiatory price, making himself a sin sacrifice, making himself the ransom price. So that you yourself could be accepted by God and have peace with God so that you can glorify Christ for all of eternity. That's the reason you exist. That is the biblical description of salvation. He's the Savior. You're the saved. Back to Ephesians 1 starting again in verse 7 I'm trying to get past verse 7 in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us does that sentence make more sense to you now that we've looked at all those other passages and picked apart all those words. My hope is that you recognize the astounding grace of God that would write such words about a worm like you. He gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. Let's see if we can just read to where we left off last week. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and in all insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in Christ. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. The wrapping up of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens. Things upon earth. In him. Also we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to his purpose. Who works everything after the counsel of his own will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory in him. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge, as a down payment of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Next week, we'll talk about the sealing of the Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee Of everything else we've been promised. You see this gospel of your salvation. Which Paul specifically called. The gospel of your salvation. This good news of your salvation. Is really, really, really good news. If God left it up to you. That's not good. Because you're going to mess it up. Guaranteed. You're going to mess it up. That's not good news. But knowing that it is a fully accomplished, finished, perfect, eternal work. And that you are the recipient of God's everlasting love, good kindness, and overflowing, magnificent grace. That is good, good, good news. When you walk out of here today, walk out talking about what a good God you serve because he's astounding
0: thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message we encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for books, Q&As and our ever expanding archive of audio sermons We invite you to join us next time when we gather around the word and study the sovereign grace of God.